Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Satan is a defeated foe. And that's what we want to look at this evening. Satan is a defeated foe. Too many. Too many of us are too quick to give him the victory in our lives. Too many of us are too quick to allow him into our lives. And too many people are too quick to give him glory in their lives. Now, if you're a blood-bought, a blood-washed, spirit-filled child of God, then Satan has no right in your life. Has no rights. Time the church realized that. And stop giving him glory, for he deserves none. So Satan is a defeated foe. Amen, brothers and sisters. Luke chapter 10. I'm a little bit, I'm echoing here. Could you maybe, thank you, Kai. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we ask you now that you would deliver men and women whoever it is that comes under the sound of this word, deliver them from the power of the evil one. Help your church to realize that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So tonight, Lord, we ask you, Lord, speak to your church and give them, Lord, the, uh, Lord, the opened eyes, the, the revealed heart, a revealed spirit in their heart, Lord, to understand that they are on the winning team. And that, oh Lord, even though the devil may still be alive and well, as it were, Lord, he has no privilege upon them because they belong to Christ. So, Father, we ask you now to shut us in with yourself. And Lord, those who are not saved and walking with you, help them to see the error of their way, but help the unsaved to see their need of Christ because they're under a taskmaster called Satan. But Lord, we thank you. You break the power of cancelled sin, and you set the prisoner free. And so we thank you tonight, Lord, that prisoners can be set free in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask it. Amen. So Satan is a defeated foe. The disciples have went and cast out devils. They've seen all these wonderful things happen. And now they have come back rejoicing and glad. And they've said, Lord, even the devils have been subject unto us. Well, you see, brothers and sisters, what they have there is even less than what we have now. And I said in this way, at this place point in time, the fullness of the Spirit was not poured out. This is before Calvary. This is before the shed blood. But you and I are now post-Calvary. You and I are under the blood if we're saved. You and I have the Spirit of God. You and I have the authority of the Word. So Satan in your life is a defeated foe. It's time that you give him 
his orders to go. Go in your life, your family, your marriage, your home. Over all that you are, you are the one in whom is the spirit. Then you are in control. Stamp him under your very feet. Now, the believer and the unbeliever has a threefold enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Let me say it again, because that's what we're going to look at tonight. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So if the world, the whole world, got saved tonight, and if the devil just happened to drop dead, you're still going to have an enemy. Guess who it is? Yourself. You're your own worst enemy, is the saying. The world, that is the things of the world, is the devil's fishing bait to hook the fleshy mind of man and to land them, or him or her, at the shores of defeat and destruction. So when we look at the world, the flesh, and the devil, we're going to look at it in conjunction one with another and how many fall into temptation and how and many fall in such a way they feel they'll never recover. But if you're a child of God, know this, that there's always recovery in Christ. In fact, there's more than recovery. It's always victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the world, the flesh, and the devil. First of all, the world. In John 16 and verse 33, listen to what the Lord Jesus says. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in life, whether you're a Christian or not. In fact, probably because you're a Christian. And if you're not saved tonight, you're in the world in a different sense. You are owned by the world and the things of the world. We'll look at it in a moment. And the master of that is the devil. But believer, you, you've heard the saying before, we are in the world, but not off the world. In other words, we're living in it. We have to work with people who are ungodly, and, and some of them are nice, even people in the sense where they're, they're pleasant and they're courteous. You know, we have to buy, we sell, and all of those things. Yet all of that system is the world. So Jesus says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The word world there is the word cosmos. And it simply means this world's system of things. This world's system of things. The system of things, for example, in the banking systems and how they're run. The system of things of borrowing and selling. The system of things of, of false worship and false religion and, and spirits that would oppose you and stand against you. This whole world's system of things are everything that you're seeing, whether it's on a television set, on billboards or magazines, that's ungodly is this world's system of things. And Jesus said, in this world's system of things, you're not part of this world. You're in it, but you're not off it. He says, so you're going to have trouble. But notice what he says in it. But be of good cheer. I want you to rejoice. He says, I have overcome this world's system. In other words, the world system and all its ways and all its things and all its trials, all its tribulations, all its desires, all its lusts, everything that it holds held nothing on the wonderful, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And he says, I have overcome the world. Now, the thing about this says is that when you're in Christ, if you're saved, then you too are an overcomer from the things of the world. 
Yet we fail at times. It's learning to overcome, learning from our mistakes, learning and going on with God, and learning to be more Christ-like. Notice this, the word cosmos, world. Let me give you a couple of examples here. John 8 and verse 12. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says, I'm the light in this cosmos. It's the word, cosmos. I'm the light in this world system. You see, this world system has us so entrenched, has us locked in, that you and I, if we don't do what we're doing, even to be not of it, but part of it, because we're living in it, now then you and I can't exist. You and I can't exist. That's why when Jesus comes, there's a new world coming. There's a new world coming. There's a new order coming. And the new world order, I'm not talking about the, the new world order that we hear about all the time, uh, whether it's in the, the G20s and all of these things, and, the, and it's in the, the Masonic and all of the. I'm not talking about that new world order. I don't care about that new world order. The new world order that's coming is the kingdom of God on earth. And everything will change. And as the overcomers in this life, they will be those who are ruling and reigning in position of power and authority in the next. That's, this life is a training ground for a life that is to come. I touched on it this morning, and I don't know why I tramped in corns or toes or what I did, and I, I know I stirred a few people up because it was quite hard-hitting, and I told you about the, even little bits about the resurrection, what I believe, and people were a little shaken by it. Good. Because that's the idea of it, waking you up, to waking up the church. But notice this, there's a new world coming, which is the coming kingdom of Christ. And only those in this life who are the overcoming church will be those who are ruling and reigning with him. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the only light in all of this darkness. I'm not talking about the lights that are in the ceiling. I'm not talking about the lights that come on when you turn on the switch. He's talking about in a spiritual world, in a physical world that we live in. He says, the only light in all of it is not your religion. The only light is not in some guru, spiritual leadership. He says, the only light, he says, is me. Me. You're walking in darkness every single day, believer. That's why he then later says, ye are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, church. So what do you believe, how you act and react to the things of this world and how the devil attacks and all of those things that you believe in your mind, you need to reprogram in order to know the word to say, hold on a wee second, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus gives it to us as believers, blood-washed. He says, ye are the light of the world. And he says to his disciples, what are you, what are you rejoicing for? He says, don't rejoice over that. This is what you and I rejoice over. Your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. Let me look at this word darkness. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See? Following Christ is where we're safe. Following Christ is where we have leadership. Following Christ is where we walk in that we can see and not fall and stumble as in the dark. And the word darkness is shall not walk in darkness is the word scotia. And it means you'll not be in ignorance of divine things. 
That's what darkness means here. Not to be in ignorance of divine things or in a condition of moral and spiritual depravity and sin. Look at the world. That's the darkness of it. They are ignorant in divine things. They are ignorant of it. It's in your face everywhere you go. It's oppressive if you let it be oppressive. It's upon you at times in work. It's upon you when you're in maybe your family. It's upon you and you feel the darkness of it. Well, listen, Christian, you're the light in it. You're the light in it. You overcome it. You know why? Do you know where darkness, the difference with light and darkness? Darkness only exists where there's an absence of light. Did you know that? I'm going to say it again. Darkness only exists where there's an absence of light. And if you're light, as soon as you walk into that room, as soon as you walk into your business, as soon as you walk into your workplace, as soon as you walk into your family, or wherever it may be, then you see the difference is you are the light among the darkness. You are the light. And that light overcomes the darkness. Knowing who you are in Christ, understanding who Christ is in you, and taking the word of God and walking in it, Ignorance of divine things and a condition of moral and spiritual depravity and sin. That's the way the world is, isn't it? Jesus says, I am that light. Then he says, I'm giving you that light. Now walk in it. Now walk in it. In John 16 and verse 33, so he says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome this world's system of things. The word overcome there is a word, nikao. And it's where you and I get the word for our training shoes now, Nike. You know the the tick, the sportswear, Nike, that's where that's where it's a great word. And it was a Greek god of victory, and it was used here for victory. Jesus is, I am the overcomer. I am victorious. Listen, Calvary hadn't happened, but as far as Jesus was concerned, it was already done now. And it was already accomplished. Why? That you may be a victor. That you may be set free from the bondage of sin. That you would be set free from the wiles of the devil. From the attacks of the devil. That you would be able to stand. And that you would be able to march on in victory in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's, let's realize who we are in Christ. Remember when... Jody was getting into first year. Strange now she's left school this week. And she's going into first year in, in her high school. She was all looking forward to it. And the first day she goes, and it was great that she'd get a bus from Donna Clooney to Bond Bridge. And you knew that we trick to play. I have a sore tummy. <laughs> you know a trick? So she comes in, I have a sore tummy. And I go, and me and mum go, yep, we, on, we know that one. That was, a, that was a primary school one. We know that one. You all know that, don't you? You all know it. And she stood, I can't go. I'm not going. I have to get on that bus. I don't want to get on that bus. You know, I'm not going. So I just get her up out to the door. She says, Dolly. Before I go, would you want me to be with all those people that are unsaved and ungodly? I says, yes. <laughs> <laughs> on that bus. And even the boys and girls curse and swear. And I says, yes, I do. Now go and witness to them. You be the light. 
That was the end of that. You are. In all of this world, if there's no hope found in you, church, then there's no hope found at all. That is in the sense that you have the Word of God, that you have Christ, and that you know the gospel message and you're under the blood. And when there's hope for you, then there's hope for them. There's hope for you, there's hope for them. If there's hope for Ken Davidson, there's hope for anybody, anyone. Listen to what John says in 1 John 2, 1 John 2 verse 14. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you. Notice the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. John says, I'm writing because I'm hearing of your faith. I'm hearing that you're strong. I'm hearing that the word of the living God is alive in you. And with that, you have victory over the devil. That's what he's saying, church. John is saying, I'm writing, I'm hearing of what God's doing in your life. I'm hearing about your faith. I'm hearing about the defeat of Satan in your life. I'm hearing about you giving him his marching orders because the word of God has told you that you're an authority and not him. That's the difference. That's the difference. Knowing the word of God and loving the word of God causes the Christian to live in the Word of God and the Word of God to live in the Christian. And this makes them strong enough to overcome the wicked one and to overcome the world and all its temptations. And the Word of God must make itself at home in the heart to overcome the heart making itself at home in the world. I want to say that last line again. The Word of God must make itself at home in the heart to overcome the heart, making itself at home in the world. Too many lives have been made at home in the world, in the system of things, and so it's comfortable. But when the Word of God is in a man, when the Word of God is in a woman, when the Word of God is in a young person, when the Word of God is alive and abiding in you, even the devil hates you and cannot stand you, neither can he stand against you. It's the word, the authority of the living God in you. So Satan is a defeated foe. Listen to what 1 John 5 and verse 4 says. For whatsoever is born of God. Are you born of God? Are you born of the Holy Spirit? Are you born again? You see, we can talk about being born and doing lineages and heritages and all that, and that's fine. I understand all of that stuff. I know all of that stuff. But that's not what counts. It's being born from above. Born of God. Born again. Born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit with life from above. Into God's family divine justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. Here he says, if you're born of God, you overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. What is the victory? He says, even our faith. 
Uh, the devil uses the world and its system to wait till you're at your weakest in your fleshy mind. You're not thinking in the spirit to hook you, to draw you to the shores of death and destruction. But since the world has no relevance on the believer who loves Jesus, follows Christ, since the world has no relevance and since the devil has no authority, every day when you look in the mirror, brother, and every day when you look in the mirror, and me too, there is your competition. Yourself. It's yourself. Our threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your flesh is the biggest enemy. Our biggest competition is but what our eyes see. Our biggest accusation is how our minds think. And our biggest ruination is how our flesh reacts or reaps and our mouths speak. Oh, stop speaking negative. Don't speak negative. We can call things as they are. We have to be real. I understand that. But people are always speaking negative. Oh, the devil is. Oh, the devil that. Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, I can't. Do you not know the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Our faith is, Lord, Lord, would you change that man of mine? Maybe you're praying, oh, Lord, would you change? Lord, would you do something with that woman of mine? I don't know what you're praying sometimes. You know, when you're praying, oh, Lord, would you do this? And then when you go, when you go and you're talking to your friends, the next thing it is, I don't know, he's never going to change that man. See, that woman, she's never going to change. Yet you're only after praying and faith and asking the Lord to do it. Your mouth has just spoken things that you shouldn't have. Lord, I forgive them for hurting me and doing something. And then next thing you turn around and you see something, you go, see her, man, brother. <laughs> see her, woman. <laughs> Isn't it true? We're all guilty. Guilty as charged. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I want to speak life. I want to speak life into people's lives. I want to speak life. I want to speak blessing. I want to speak hope. I want to speak joy. I want to speak righteousness. I want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about the football. I don't know anything about football anyway. <laughs> Gordon. I'm going to say nothing. Gordon likes Linfield. Pray for him. I don't want to talk about the ungodly. I don't want to have a, a table full of people where someone is our meal as we devour them. I don't want that. I want Jesus. I want to talk about Christ. I want to talk about Christ. Because once we do, the devil gets his foothold. And all the while, we're more than conquerors, yet we let him in. And we open the door to him. We're all guilty. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read through from us and stop, start for a moment to show you. And you hath he quickened, underline the word quickened. I know if you're, you've got the KJV there that you'll realize it's in italics. It's not in the original manuscript at that point, but by the time, <clears throat> excuse me, but by the time we get down this chapter, you'll find this word is in verse 5 again, and it's quickened. And it's in the original, so we can bring that word, it's the way the Greek runs, you can bring that word up and use it at the start because that's what it's speaking of, okay? So there's no error here of translation. You hath he quickened. You poio. Made alive. That's the idea of it. You're made alive, brother. Look, let me tell you about the, the term to quicken. It gives the idea to reanimate. To reanimate. So Adam is in the cool of the day, walking with the Lord in the garden, and they're meeting with each other, and they're speaking. And the sin of Adam separates him from God, and he dies before God. Dead. So all of us have Adam's germs. We'll look at it in a moment. And because we have Adam's germs, we're all dead in trespasses and sins. We're in this world where uh, we're ignorant of divine things. We know nothing about it. And we're all on the road to a lake of fire. That's it in a nutshell. The word here to quicken. The Holy Ghost came, born of God. Born again, born of the Spirit, with life from above. The quickening Spirit of the Holy Ghost comes and regenerates the heart. Look, you know when you used to get the wee man, and you'd done a wee stick man, and then you'd done him for the page of wee stick man with his leg forward a bit, and then you'd done a stick man with his hand up, and the stick man with his other leg like this, and you'd done it on every page. And what do you do? You do that, and you flick through the pages. Next thing, the wee dead stick man starts to walk, doesn't he? It's called animation. Adam was animated with God in the cool of the day. And now you hath he quickened, reanimated back into him to be alive unto God. You hath he quickened who were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. And the Holy Ghost came and he made me alive unto Christ. That's the idea of it. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and his sins. I have, I have to love John Stott's translation of trespasses and sins. He says, trespasses speaks of a man as a rebel. Sin speaks of a man as a failure. Before God, we are both rebels and failures. You have he made alive, you rebel, you failure before God. And he quickened you up. And he let you see the Lamb of God. And you're saved because you're able now to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. And so we're now, you Christian and I, sitting here tonight are here because we're alive unto him. You're alive unto God. Not unto the devil. Not unto the devil. Verse 2, he says, we're in time past. Here's your old lifestyle. You walked according to the course of this world. Notice, you and I walked according to the course of the world. The word according is kata, it means with a dominance, 
gives the idea of pressing down. The world pressed heavy on us that we were captured, we were trapped. We were in our sin and couldn't rescue ourselves nor get out. And notice what he says. You walked or you lived your lifestyle according to the course of this world's system of things. You, according with the dominance to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. See the unsaved? The nicest person that's unsaved. The nicest. Maybe they're even more of a nice person and a helpful person than you are. But the right side of Christ, the prince of the power of the air, it gives the idea that he is the one with the, the, the word power there. It isn't uh, exousia for authority, and it isn't dunamis, where we get our word dynamite for power. Here the word changes, the kratos. That means the one with the dominion of this world. The dominion. You were dominated by the one who has the dominion of this world system. Now, I want to point something out here. God is still on the throne. He's always sovereign. Always. But we're told you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience are those who could not be persuaded, the unpersuasible. He says, you used to live like that? And I go, yes, I did. But he quickened me. Because <laughs> Christ died for me. The blood cleanses me. And now he fills me. Satan, you have no hold over me. <laughs> That's the idea here. You have no hold over me. You have no right in my life. I'm under new management. Well, it was 20 plus years ago. Under new management. You're under new management if you're saved. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past. And the desires of the flesh. See the term desires of the flesh. It means the lust of the flesh. That which we desired. Here's the flesh. Here's the you. Here's the me. And this is simply the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh is simply the perversions of the legitimate desires of human nature. <laughs> the perversions of the legitimate desires of the human nature. Listen, it's perfectly natural for a man and a woman to have desires one toward another. That's a natural thing. But outside of marriage, it is not natural. It's a perversion. That's the idea of it. It's perversion, man with man and woman with woman. Yes, we agree with that. It's natural for a man and a woman to feel the things of the world and that draw. We live in it. We, we're human beings. But the perversion comes when it controls our lives and takes us from the natural. Not to the supernatural, but to the unnatural. It says, the desires of our flesh and of the mind and were by nature. The children of wrath. See the word by nature? Underline it. And write the word phusis. If you want an English sounding reference, it would be F-U-S-I-S, Fusus. This is what it means. We were by nature the children of wrath, or we caught Adam's germs. 
we had Adam's genes. So we had Adam's original sin. Every one of us. We were by nature, in our nature, the depravity of the human nature. The depravity of human nature isn't just that a nature can be fallen and get up to all manner of things that's terrible. The depravity of human nature really resides in this fact that you cannot by any means save yourself. <laughs> You're dead before God. We were, in our nature, children of wrath. I think of all the years that I ran around and got up to no good, and God's wrath was real. But you know the wonderful thing it is? Now, looking back, and knowing that I'm, a, I'm one of the elect, you know the wonderful thing about it is? Now, I look back and think, yeah, but your love was greater. <laughs> you love me. You love me, Lord. Take notice, the children of disobedience are the children who are under wrath in this, the unsaved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Notice, here's the wrath looming. Notice, this is Ken Davidson. This is where I was. This is where you were. But God. <laughs> Isn't that lovely even? Look, this is where you were. You had Adam's genes. You were separated from God forever. You were going to die. You were going to go to hell, Ken. You were going to burn in a lake of fire because you're guilty as charged. Even at your best days, you're still guilty. But God. <laughs> but God had a different plan for me. But God had a different idea for me. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God, who is rich in mercy, he says. Notice, the idea of rich in mercy is, but God who is immeasurably rich in the sphere of his mercy. That's where it reads. God in the sphere of mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is when you do not get what you do deserve. I want you to catch it because this will bless your heart when you're sitting on your own sunlight. Mercy is when you do not get what you do deserve. You deserve to be lost because you're Adam's genes. You're the fusus, the nature of Adam. You deserve to be judged and found guilty because you're Adam's nature. You deserve to be found guilty and go into a lake of fire because you're Adam's nature. You deserved it because we're all guilty. He says, but listen, God didn't give you what you deserved. What did he give you? He gave you freedom. He gave you pardon. He gave you forgiveness because he gave you his son whose son gave his blood. What a God. What a gospel. What a Christ. But God is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, dead and under the power of the prince of the air. Dead and under the power and the prince of the air, and now by sovereign grace, Saved and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, what, what more does a person want? What more do we look for? I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Me, a rotten, filthy, guilty, 
hell-deserving sinner, dead in my sins and in my trespasses with my depraved nature of Adam, the draw of the world, and I love to have it so, the devil lording over my life, having me under his control and his bondage and his chains bound with his fetters of addiction and now set free by the power of the living Christ and seated in heavenly places. Come on, brothers and sisters. That's who you are. Satan is a defeated foe. Christ came and he did this. None other could do it. Satan is a defeated foe. He's overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. Christ has overcome the devil. And Christ has overcome the flesh. I love the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 30. He says, listen, the prince of this world, the prince, in other words, he's not a king. I want you to know, he says, brother, and he says, I, this one is not a king. You're looking at the king, he says. <laughs> You're looking at the king, the prince of this world system. He's coming, he says, he cometh. Listen to what he says, and hath nothing in me. You know, when the devil comes and tries to tempt the Lord, and the devil comes and tries to accuse him, the devil comes and throws everything at Jesus to search him inside out. He finds nothing in him. He was without sin. He was sinless. He's the spotless Lamb of God. He is the impeccable Son of the Most High. He says, he's coming and he finds nothing in me. I have overcome the world, he says. I am victorious. Listen, he had already kicked the life out of the devil before Calvary even happened. Calvary wasn't for him. Calvary was to appease the wrath of his father, to bring the justice of heaven down to earth and to set you and I at liberty that when he comes to us and accuses us, the accuser of the brethren, under the blood in the grace of God, we can say, he finds nothing in me. You see, the devil may accuse you and he may accuse me and he may say, look at his sin. But God says, what? Look at my son. Look at my son. What a Christ. Notice this. In 1 Corinthians 15, please. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. I couldn't ask for another drink, please, could I? Thank you. Thirsty preacher tonight. It's the hot weather. Tell that with a big burger I had before I came out, one of the two. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Christ has risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, he's the first to rise from the dead to die no more. You see, others were risen from the dead, but they died again. Here, he's the first fruits, and because he lives, we shall live also. Notice verse 21. For since by man came death, this is Adam. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you. <clears throat> Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all, 
be made alive. Notice those who are quickened are made alive. Those who are in Christ are made alive. And those who are made alive now in this life, at the resurrection, when Jesus breaks the clouds and comes back again, we will be caught up. The dead in Christ will rise first. Notice the very body that's went to powder, the very body that's been burned to dust, I think of the reformers who cried unto God that just shall live by faith. I think of those from the Colosseums who were cat food, the early Christians. I think of those from around the world who have suffered and died for their faith. I think of those who have lived a godly life for Christ and have died in Christ and went into the ground knowing Christ when he returns, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why? They shall be made alive! Just as you're made alive in the Spirit. And he returns. Listen, there'll be some secret. The graves are going to open all over the place. There's going to be a shout, a war cry in the heavens. The skies are going to be filled. They'll roll back like a scroll. And King Jesus will be in the midst of myriads and myriads and myriads of angels and angelic beings. And we're going to look at him and the dead in Christ and rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. <laughs> Made alive. What about those who are not saved? Well, Revelation tells us, Revelation 20, there's another resurrection. Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth. We rule and reign, the overcoming people will rule and reign with Christ. And after a thousand years, there'll be another resurrection. The resurrection of those who have died outside of Christ and unsaved. And they'll be cast into a lake of fire. So Satan is a defeated foe. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, two verse 14. For as much then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of, part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. <laughs> that is the devil. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? Why did God come down? Why did the Son of God come in the flesh? Why did that happen? You know what happened? He came to destroy the power of the devil the prince of the power of the air. He came to destroy the one who rules and reigns in this world system of things. He came because you and I were dead under it. You and I were dead in it. You and I were lost for all eternity through it. And he came that he might destroy the power of the devil. What, what is it he holds over you? See, from tonight, you need to say, you know what? Hold on a minute. I've been giving him too much airtime here. I've been giving him too much thought. I've been giving him too much worry. I've been fretting over him. He's a defeated foe. Satan is a defeated foe. You belong to Christ.
Listen to what Jesus says in John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's the word. He comes to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, the idea is, Jesus says, the thief's coming to steal, kill, and to destroy. It's a, he wants to cause you to perish. He loves it when you perish. He loves to see your life perishing. He loves to see your hope perish. He loves to see you perish in your sin. He loves to see you lost. But I love it, he says. That's what he's come for. He says, I am come <laughs> that they may have life, not death, may have it more abundantly in the greatest of fullness of measure. Listen to Luke chapter 9, verse 56. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. John 10, 27, reading onwards, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Jesus said that if you're mine, you're never going to perish. You'll never perish. People think you can be lost one minute and saved the next, and then saved the next five minutes, and then lost another time until you make it to the altar on a Sunday. When you're Christ's, uh, you're saved, you're secured, you're His for all eternity, and you will not perish. You're His. He says, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. I and my Father are one. <laughs> you see, when you're in the hands of Christ, when you're in Christ, you're in God. <laughs> and God is in you. The Lord Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives women's lives. The Lord Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. <laughs> the Lord Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives, but he came to destroy him that had the power over death. First John 3 and 8, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. I love this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. I love the word manifest. It's, you know, the invisible God coming down. Man, man, he fest. He was man, he fested. He came as a man and showed himself. I love that word. Here he was manifested. Why were you manifested? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Why do you think there's full atonement in the blood? In the sacrifice of Calvary, salvation and healing, healing from our sins and our sicknesses, full atonement. Jesus is our, not only our Savior, but our healer. He is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and he's our soon coming King. I'm going to finish. Thank you for your attention. Listen to David Guzik. 
Note the purpose of Jesus. I'm quoting him. Note the purpose of Jesus, he writes. To destroy the works of the devil. Not to neutralize them. Not to alleviate them. Not to limit them. Jesus wants to destroy the works of the devil. Many people are unnecessarily afraid of the devil, fearing what he could do against them. If they only knew that as we walk in Jesus, the devil is afraid of us. Was afraid of you. You know, Satan trembles when he, come on, some of you know it now, when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. You know why? He thinks you're defeated when you're on your knees until you get up ready for war. Satan can do nothing outside the will of God. Do you know that? Nothing. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. I have prayed for all enough. Jesus. Oh, shut up about it. That thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. This is where it reads in the original Greek. Simon, Simon. So I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at Daniel here. You're Simon Peter. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you all. Or some render it like this, be Simon, Simon, Satan has obtained you by asking, and he wants you all. But me, he says, I've prayed for you. <laughs> Come on, we have a high priest in glory. We have a high priest who stands in the presence of God, the right hand of our Father. We have a great high priest who stands here. Listen, there for me the Savior stands. He shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love. I know, I feel, Jesus lives and loves me still. That's where he is. And see when your pastor forgets. I try not to, but I'm human. And when your friends or your family and other Christians forget to pray for you, there's one who never forgets. And he never gets tired. You know why? The scripture says, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. He's not going to stop praying for you. He's praying you through. But Simon, Simon, you're going to let me down. He didn't say it. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Why? Because I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And you're going to fulfill it. You know why? He says, because I am the sovereign almighty God. <laughs> you see, in the words of the old Puritan, Stephen Charnock, Satan is God's ape. <laughs> you know what Satan does? He's allowed to attack you when your father allows it. You know why? That he may draw something out of you, that your father will draw something out of you, purify you to greater measures, that you will go on in faith, that you'll be built up in Christ. But all the time your father is still in control, he's still sovereign, and he's still on the throne. 
Don't be worried about that. You can go no further than your Lord allows him. Tell you what, I'm going to stop there. That's enough, isn't it? If your tires aren't pumped up by now, then I'm never going to get them pumped up the rest of the night. I have to go and preach at an hour meeting here with them the other. Well, do another night. Do another night. Show you it's four, it's four falls. Well, look, I, he, he had a kick in four times. You know that? God willing, next Sunday night, we'll do another night. Let me finish with this then. George Swinnick once wrote, he's no Puritan, he wrote, Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy. I'm going to say it again. Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy. You need to be in fellowship. Or you're sailing without the convoy. Talk about biblical fellowship. Talk about Christ-like fellowship, godly, good fellowship. Or you're sailing without a convoy. Peter, 2 Peter 5 and 8, he says, be sober. That doesn't mean to say just keep off the drink. Now, that's not the term that that's in, but keep off the drink anyway. But this is, this is what it means. Be awake. Be aware. Be vigilant. This is the way Peter does it. If you were to read it in the Greek, he goes like this. Walk like this. In your faith. Because Satan hates you. But you must be ready to know who you are in Christ. For when he comes, the shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth, the shoes of the preparation of, God, of the gospel of peace, and in your hand you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Cut his head off! Cut his head off! Like David cut off the head of Goliath! Don't give him a chance to come back again. Cut his head off! What is it uh, that he's able to tempt you with? Then cut his head off. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring land, runneth about, seeking whom he may defar. This is what I'd written. And then next week we'll get into our actual scripture. Okay, that's our introduction. <coughs> this is what I'd written on this. If you sail alone, then expect the high seas pirate to raid your vessel, rob you of your position, or your, pardon me, your possession of peace, and rape you of your purity and holiness. Enter his backyard and expect his dogs to be let loose. Go into his playground and you'll find he plays dirty, he cheats, he lies. He blinds with his ability to ply your flesh with the world. Stay close to Christ. Stay in fellowship and never sail alone. I wrote that just because I felt like it. Because that's how it speaks to me. Brothers and sisters, understand tonight, and I hope and pray you do, 
this one, we're going to look at him. Going to look at him when he was in heaven. God willing, next week when he was in heaven. He's called twice the anointed cherub. Once the anointed cherub to cover it. He stood in glory where that power of the almighty God would have consumed the angelic beings that God had created. So he creates a magnificent creature who shields and covers the reflective glory of God. And it comes right down to the Ark of the Covenant, the two angels, the touch wing to wing. That's coming down from there, covering the glory as it comes down to man. And one day he says, I think I'm the boss. And his first kicking out was this. The Lord says, no, you're not. <laughs> and see in your life, Christian, he thinks he's the boss. Let the Spirit speak through the word. No, you're not. <laughs> I have a new, a new boss. I'm a new creature in Christ. God bless his word to us. Satan is a defeated foe. You remember that when you go home tonight.